This is the Morning Rush. Coming up on today's show, Pendleton County keeps its perfect season alive. A former Packer, former teammate of Aaron Rodgers, a confidant of Aaron Rodgers, if you will, says uh, things may not be over for A.A. Ron in Green Bay. Uh, Things may be over for a future Major League Hall of Famer. The NHL continues to be an absolute clown show. And Joe Shuda has another Rush Friday feature for us in the 8 o'clock hour. He catches up with Altoona Curve bench coach Gary Green, the curve, returning to action this past week after missing all of last year because of, well, you know. All that and more coming up in the next two hours of the Morning Rush. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off yet another essential work day, wrapping up yet another essential work week. Come on. Several ways to get involved on the show, as always. Hit me up on Twitter. We got two Twitter pages. At ESPN Morning Rush, at Rush Tony C. First one is the show page. Second one is uh, my page. Also, our Facebook page, at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. Don't put those to memory because they'll be changing here in about a week. But for now, all of those pages, free and open to the public. Like them, follow them. At any time you feel froggy, take the leap and drop me a line. Got a question, a comment, an opinion on anything we talk about. It's all right there for you. Rush line is also open, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance on this funky Friday. Come on. 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the Podbean app, which is free, by the way. We upload every show every day, minus commercials, just for you. All right, let's kick off today's show as we kick off every single show with a rock around the region. And we start with high school basketball, where Pendleton County is one win away from a perfect season and a state title after a 38-35 win over Tug Valley in the Class A semifinals. Bailey Thompson had 15 points for the third-seeded Wildcats, who will face number one man for the Class A championship tomorrow morning. In Quad A, number three Martinsburg advanced to the semifinals with a 57-52 win over number six Cabell Midland. Doran Smith had 16 points and nine boards for the Bulldogs, who will face number two George Washington in the uh, semis tomorrow night. GW advanced. Well, that can't be right. That's tonight. Not to- tomorrow night. <laughs> That is tonight, tomorrow night, tomorrow's the state title games. My mistake. That means that all of my sports updates on all the other stations uh, were wrong. Those semifinals are tonight. (laughs) And they will advance to the state title games tomorrow. 
Uh, GW advanced, oh, by the way, with a 65-48 win over number 7 Jefferson. Tonight in AAA, Hampshire will be will try to become, this is a mess. See, I make one mistake, and then I lose all concentration and focus. Let me try to, let me start over again. Let me start, okay, let's do that again. Tonight in AAA, Hampshire will try to become the first eight seed to ever make it to a state title game in any class when they take on number five Wheeling Central Catholic at 715. In the NBA, Bradley Beal helped the Wizards move one step closer to a playoff spot. Westbrook, edge of the circle. Beal trying to get open. Beal, right wing. Beal drives, right block. Bank and one. And one. Beal slashes to the basket, scores, and he's going to line. The Wizards up by four, 124-120. The call on Federal News Radio. Beal scored 14 of his 28 points in the fourth quarter and overtime. As the Wizards beat the Raptors 131-129. And uh, what about Russell Westbrook? Ah, just another triple-double. Westbrook left the circle. Westbrook foul line drives, bags, and scores! And scores! And Russell Westbrook has a triple-double and makes it a one-point game, 106-105. Westbrook, 11 points, 14 rebounds, 14 assists, and his 34th triple-double of the season. 13 points, 17 boards, 17 assists. For Westbrook, you heard him, 34th triple-dub this season. He is now one shy of the all-time record behind Oscar Robertson. On the ice last night, Jeff Carter had a career night for the Penguins. Cue the montage. Penguins racing in McCann down the right side. Left wing feed. Malkin a shot. That was stopped by Hauser and somehow stayed out. It was Carter at the left wing circle who fired it. Oh, I want another look at it. After review, is determined the puck completely crossed the goal line. We had a good goal. Left side, Jared McCann feeds it back for John Marino. To the right side, Kasperi Kapanen. A right-hand shot. Down low for Zucker. In front, they shoot and score! Jeff Carter atop the crease, a power play goal. It's two for Carter, two for Penguins. Throws it forward, he finds McCann with speed through center. Chips it right side for Goudreau. Into the slot, curls in the forehand. Left side for Pedersen, looking in front. They shoot and score! And it's Jeff Carter falling down as he buries it. Throw the hats. Sabres in their own end, turn it over. It's Carter, a backhander, he scores! Make it four for Jeff Carter. Top shelf at the right circle. The calls on the Penguins radio network. A little Nelly in the background there. I didn't do that, by the way. That was uh, the mothership ESPN. A career-high four goals for Jeff Carter as the Penguins doubled up the Sabres 8-4 in Pittsburgh. It was the first four-goal game for a Penguin since Chris Kunitz did it against the Capitals in 2013. Uh, Speaking of the Caps, the Penguins are now two points ahead of Washington for first place in the East Division, the Caps will try to keep pace tonight at home against Philadelphia. In Major League Baseball, the Braves beat the Nationals 3-2 to complete their first sweep of Washington since 2014. Uh, Josh Harrison had two hits for the Nats. Pirates and Orioles both off yesterday. Bucks kick off a weekend series at the Cubs this afternoon. And the O's are at the one place they don't want to be at home to take on the Red Sox. Orioles are 4-10 and 10 at Camden Yards this season, 11-6 and six away from home. Go figure. 
And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Caporale Group. Uh, Looking at the Wizards, they get the win last night. Big win in OT over the Raps. Uh, Problem is, the Pacers also won. They beat the Hawks 133-126. to So Indiana still a half game ahead of Washington for that ninth spot in the East. They play at Indiana tomorrow. Now the Hornets lost. They lost to, who did they lose to? The Bulls, I think. I just had it in front of me, and now it's gone. Yes, the the Bulls beat the Hornets 120-99. So the Pacers and the Wizards both gained a full game on Charlotte. So right now, Charlotte sitting in that eight spot in the East, and the Pacers are one game behind the Hornets. The Wizards now a game and a half behind. How huge is tomorrow's game, right? If the Wizards can find a way, which there's no reason to believe they can't because they're playing great basketball right now. And, and we're talking about home, you know, that, that play-in tournament that they're having now, we, we talked about before, which not a lot of people like. I don't particularly care for it either. But if the Wizards can jump over the Pacers, if they can beat them tomorrow, and jump past them into that nine spot, at the very least, if the standings hold after that, then Washington will have that home playoff game. They'll, they get to host Indiana. Because really, that's it. I, I can't see, I mean, again, the Bulls won, but they're still three and a half behind Washington for that 10th that spot. And the fact that Washington beat Toronto... That knocked the Raptors four full games behind Washington for that 10 spot. So Toronto's pretty much done. The Bulls hanging on by a thread. So barring some major collapse by the Pacers and or the Wizards, uh, the Bulls and Raps are done. And right now, they're just jockeying for position. The Heat and the Celtics, they have the same record. Right now, the Celtics have the... uh, the sixth seed because of the tiebreaker. So Miami is at number seven. Charlotte, eight. Indiana, nine. Washington in the 10 spot. They they probably they won't catch the heat because right now the Pacers are four back of Miami, Washington four and a half back. So it, it, they're all jockeying for eight, nine, and 10. And it's crucial to get into that seven, eight spot if you can because even if you lose that seven, eight game, you still get to play again. You take on the winner of the 9-10 game. The last place you want to be is in a 10 spot because then you have to go on the road to play that 9-10 game. If you lose that 9-10 game, you're done. Season's over. But right now, it looks pretty good. I wouldn't bet the house, but maybe a couple bedrooms that the Wizards will be in the playoffs at the very least in that 10 spot. There you go. Penguins, big win last night. Talked about it. 8-4. to four, Just blew out the Sabres. Jeff Carter, the venerable one, the veteran, the 16-year vet. His first hat trick since 2018, first career uh, four-goal game. A much-needed win by the Pens to, again, uh, get that two-point edge on the Capitals for first place in the East. And don't sleep on the Bruins. The Bruins, all of a sudden, they are 7-2-1 in their last 10. 
And they're only two points behind Washington right now for second place in that East Division. So the Bruins playing really, really good hockey. And those top four spots, much like those bottom three spots in the NBA East, the top four spots, are they're in. The, the, the Pens, the Caps, the Bruins, and the Islanders, they're, they're all locked in. They are all in the playoffs. It's just a matter of where are they going to finish. Again, jockeying for position. The Pens lead right now with 75 points. The Caps have 73. The Bruins, 71. And the Islanders kind of tailing off a bit. They have 68. So if the playoffs started today, which they don't, but if they did, the Pens would host the Islanders and the Caps would host the Bruins. Well, those would be two outstanding series, would they not? And again, if the Caps win tonight, if the Caps beat the Flyers, They'll be tied with the Pens at 75 points each, but the Caps do have the tiebreaker. And they also have two games in hand, which could you know prove big down the stretch. Is that right? The Pens only have one game left? That can't be right. Really? Hold on. That, that, there's no way. You're trying to tell me that tomorrow's game is the last game of the season for the Penguins? I gotta check. I gotta check the schedule. Give me, give me a second here. Oh my, that's it! Wow, that snuck up on me. Holy shnikes! Boy, did that sneak up on me. Tomorrow, <laughs> the Penguins host the Sabers tomorrow at three o'clock. That's the last regular season game for the Pens. I had no idea. I knew we we're heading down the home stretch. Wow, that snuck up on me. So the Pens are done, regular season-wise, after tomorrow. And then they have to kind of sit around and wait. Because the Caps still have three games left. The Bruins still have three games left. So it could be a, a, a possibility that the Pens, after tomorrow, they could go from first to third. They could just be sitting around and the Caps and Bruins continue to keep on winning, the Pens could slide to the third spot and actually have to play the first series on the road. Well, that would stink, wouldn't it? Can you imagine that? That's almost like uh, going into the clubhouse in golf, right? If you go into the clubhouse on, on, in the last round with the lead and then you have to sit there and just watch other guys pass you up, <laughs> that's what it would feel like. Not that I would know anything about having a lead in the clubhouse on the final round. Because I'm terrible at golf. I love to play, but I'm, I'm terrible. So a couple, a lot of things to keep an eye on, right? Standings-wise, in the NBA and the NHL as we head down, I had no idea. The Pens have their last regular season game tomorrow. Wow. Then, of course, after that, after they wrap it up next week, uh, the greatest tournament this side of the NCAA tournament. Nothing like the Stanley Cup playoffs. There's nothing better. I don't care what you say. I will argue that and I will fight that until I'm blue in the face and I pass out. And honestly, I don't know which one is better. It's usually the one that I'm watching at the time. You know, you know what I mean? Like sometimes you get you get caught up in the present. Recency bias, I guess that's what they call it. So if I'm watching the NCAA tournament, that's the greatest thing on earth. 
if I'm watching the Stanley Cup playoffs, that's the greatest thing on earth. But those two, nothing else can touch it. I'm sorry. Not the NFL playoffs, not baseball playoffs, certainly not the NBA playoffs. Nothing can touch those two tournaments as far as just drama and upsets and just excitement, right? And there's no, they can't be touched. Not even the college football playoff can touch that because those are it's the same four teams every year. Remember how excited we were when they they announced, "Oh, we're finally going to have a real college football playoff." Oh, we're going to get away from the polls and people just voting, and we're going to get away from that stupid BCS and the computer polls, and we're actually, we're finally going to have a college football playoff. It's going to be the greatest thing ever, and now we can't stand it because it's the same teams over and over again. Which is why, uh, sooner than later, they will will expand to either six or eight teams. That's coming sooner than later, I guarantee it. But for my money... And, of course, if you're not a hockey fan, you don't get this. You have no idea. The Stanley Cup playoffs are just phenomenal. Just phenomenal. So I can't wait. It's going to be exciting. Lots to talk about. All right. Uh, time for a break. We have the news and weather coming up here in just a bit. When we come back, we'll get into high school hoops. We'll break down Pendleton County. 40 straight victories. But the biggest win has to come tomorrow in a state championship game. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. We shift gears now to high school hoops. Yesterday was day three of the West Virginia Boys State Basketball Tournament in Charleston and the first of the four uh, state title matchups uh, were set last night in Class A. The other three will be set today as the Quad A, Triple A, and Double A semifinals are held. And in Class A, uh, we got Pendleton County, who we've been following along as they are in our region. They have not lost a game in two seasons. And uh, they need to avoid that next loss for at least one more game. So they can call themselves state champions for the very first time in school history. Pendleton won its 40th straight game last night, beating Tug Valley in a very low-scoring affair, 38-35, to advance to tomorrow morning's Class A title game against number one man. Now the Hillbillies cruised past Webster County 81-54. And Webster was technically still the defending state champion since there was no tournament last year. So tomorrow's game, Pendleton, man, will tip at 10 a.m. Here is uh, Pendleton head coach Ryan Lambert after last night's game. Extremely, extremely proud. Uh, our culture has been about defense. We've not been bashful about that. Um, and tonight, I had a group go out. Shot selection down the stretch wasn't the best. Uh, we let them back in it. Tug is a great team. A lot of respect over there. Uh, well coached. Um, but 
with about two and a half, three minutes to go, when we were down either two or three, we, we said, okay, we, we've, we've, been, we've been hit, we got to get back up. Uh, that sense of urgency, uh, that, that want, it's got to be now. It's got to be now. Um, and uh, it's very, very simple. Greatness is a choice. Greatness is a choice, and these kids, these kids rose to the occasion, uh, executed the game plan. Um, Josh Alt, uh, if I asked him to run through a brick wall for me, he'd say, which one? That sums it up, whole squad. Uh, Ryan Lambert, by the way, former Petersburg star, uh, Ryan Lambert, who I do believe was on the last Viking squad to make it to a state tournament. Uh, Pendleton held a 24-22 lead heading into the fourth quarter. And they pushed that lead out to five before Tug Valley came back to take a 35-33 lead with 108 left to play. And the lead stayed that way until there was 19 seconds on the clock. And then Pendleton's Isaiah Gardner went to the line for a pair of free throws. Knocked down the first one to make it 35-34. And you heard Coach Lambert mention his name. Pendleton big man Josh Alt made the biggest basket of his life. I had all the faith in the world in Isaiah to make both of his free throws, but there's still no reason, even though I, I did think that, there's still no reason not try to go get it, even if even if I do have all that faith in him. There's no reason not just try to go get some for myself and the team. To So, I mean, I just used my size, I guess. Coach looked at him, told him to go eat, and that's what he did. Gardner missed that second free throw. But Alt got the rebound, put it back in to give the Wildcats a 36-35 lead with 17 seconds left. You heard Bailey Thompson at the end telling, hey, Coach said go eat, and that's what he did. Here's Coach Lambert. In in the timeout, we said after he hits this free throw, here's what we're going to do. Then after they hit the floor, uh, I got Josh's attention because he was on the bench side, and I mouthed, go eat. And, and that just simply meant effort. And uh, that's, that's not saying anything negative on the Tug Valley side, uh, but, but it's a competition. And uh, we talk about effort and sense of urgency all the time. Uh, I knew that if I asked him to go get it, he'd go get it. And uh, it was an effort play. And bottom line, simple as that. I love it. I love it. Go eat, big fella. Go get your grub on. Eat up that rebound. And that's exactly what he did. Alt is a beast inside. If you if you ever see Josh Alt, he looks like a lumberjack. And I mean that in a good way. Go on WVMetroNews.com and look at Josh Alt. He's six three, he's all of six three, about 250, 260. For a high school kid, he looks he looks like a man. And he was a man last night putting that miss back in to give Pendleton County that lead. Tug Valley had a chance to retake the lead, but Ian Reed missed a three-pointer. Pendleton got the rebound, and then Bailey Thompson got fouled. He went to the line with 1.1 seconds left and drained both foul shots to produce the final three-point margin. I mean, it's pressure, but my guys trust me, and I knew I was going to go up there and make both of them. It's... It's something we haven't had all year, you know, with the uh, restrictions because of the coronavirus, obviously. But to have an uh, electricity in the building like that, it, it does create a little bit of a pressure. But I was confident in myself. Uh, go up there and knock them down, ice the game. 
And Thompson finished with 15 points, 9 rebounds. Alt had a double-double with 12 points and 11 boards. Wildcats out-rebounded Tug Valley uh, 33-22. to And if you look at the stats, they don't make sense. And you heard Coach Lambert say they pride themselves on defense. All year the culture has been defense. Tug Valley took 16 more shots than Pendleton County. 16. They just weren't falling. And you look at the turnovers, Pendleton turned the ball over 16 times. So <laughs> Tug had 16 more shots. They forced 16 turnovers. They only turned the ball over five times themselves. And so you wonder, well, how in the heck did Pendleton win this game? And we talk about it all the time. Foul shots. It seems like every time we talk about a close game, whether it be in a tournament game or just a regular season game, it comes down to free throws. Pendleton County had a 12-3 to advantage from the foul line. Now, I don't know how many were shot. I don't know if Tug Valley was like 3-for-5 and just didn't get to the line or if they had a bad shooting night from the line. But in the game that was decided by three points, Pendleton County had a nine-point advantage from the foul line. That's your difference. And a lot of times in hoops, that is the difference. Free throw shooting. And it also helps to have a big fellow like Josh Alt, you know, put back missed free throws, you know, for the win. So Pendleton County gets the win. They haven't lost in two seasons. They went undefeated last year in the regular season. Didn't get a chance to prove themselves in Charleston because there was no state tournament. So all they do this year is ah, they run the table again. Now they're 17-0, and that win number 18 will give them their first state championship ever. Again, that game tomorrow against – and it won't be easy because the Hillbillies, man – that's got to be one of the greatest names ever, by the way. The Man Hillbillies. Number one seed, that's going to be tough. That's going to be really tough for Pendleton County. That game again tomorrow, a tips at 10. Now all four – Quad A quarterfinal games were played yesterday. Very first game of the day. Number three, Martinsburg took on number six, Cabell Midland. And the Bulldogs nearly blew an 11-point lead in the final minutes, but they held on to win 57-52. Martinsburg kind of stumbled out of the gate early. It was the first game of the day at 9.30. Uh, Cabell Midland, 6-12 in the first quarter. Took a 15 to 12 lead at the end of the first eight minutes. Here's Martinsburg as a head coach, Dave Rogers. The first game is really a tough game because you're not. Uh, we we've had we have four guys that have been on this floor before. Um, it's 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 first game jitters, and when we started out the game, you saw us miss a couple layups. We probably would have normally made, uh, but those things happen. I thought our kids um, were focused. We have been focused this whole trip, this whole year. Um, we get up for breakfast this morning, didn't have to knock on one door. Uh, we had bed checked, didn't have to put anybody down in the bed. They were all, they're here for a reason. They're here for their focus. And I thought we played well. I thought our kids uh, hung in there and did a good job. And, and when we made a mistake, we made up for it. Now the Bulldogs, get, they got recentered, refocused, and they came back to take a one-point lead at the 540 mark of the second quarter. Then they closed the half on an 11-5 run 
to take a 29-25 lead into the locker room. I told the guys in the locker room I thought we were uh, kind of playing not to lose instead of playing to win. If you're putting pressure on me at half court, you can't be defending that basket. So it's, it's just impossible to do both. So at times we probably should have taken it to the rack, and, and we'll take a layup in those situations. And, and, uh, but you don't want to get timid. You just want to play. But I thought our guys handled it, hit the foul shots down the stretch, got some big rebounds. Uh, we had 40 rebounds tonight. That's an excellent job. Um, and uh, we, uh, we had, you know, four or five guys rebounding. So we rebound as a team. We're just not real big. Yeah, rebounding was, was key because Martinsburg shot just 33% in the third quarter, but they pounded the offensive glass. And they took a 42-35 lead into the fourth quarter. Bulldogs had a 19-9 advantage in second-chance points in the entire game. They also had a 12-2 edge in fast break points. Now, things did get a little bit dicey <laughs> late in the game. Again, they were up by 11, and they saw that lead shrink to two. But then Cabell Midland had to start fouling. You heard Coach mention the foul shots, and then Martinsburg finished off the game. They win by five. Four, and this is this is so impressive, if, if you don't know, Martinsburg head coach Dave Rogers has been around for a long time. To say he is a veteran head coach is an understatement. Last night's win, you know, guess, take a guess of how many games he's won in his career, his high school career. Let's go ahead. What do, you, what do you think it is? 500, 600, 700? Last night's win was number 802 for his career. That's amazing. And I tell you what, to, to watch him in the press conference, he didn't look that old. What's like? What's the? Uh, what would the average be? Let me uh, let me consult the bones here real quick. Let me bring out. Let me bring up the old calculator on the phone. Let's see, eight hundred forty. Is that right? If you average twenty, if you average twenty wins a season, that means you'd coach for forty years. Wow, that's impressive. I don't know how long he's been coaching. That's about right. I mean, you play eh, 21, 22 regular season games. You got you throw playoff games in there. He doesn't look that old. He really doesn't. But anyway, uh, he got 802 last night. Again, he'll go for 803 tonight against number two, uh, George Washington. That game is the late game at 9 o'clock. When we come back, uh, there was another quad A quarterfinal game that everyone across the entire state had an eye on. That was number one Morgantown and number eight Woodrow Wilson. And everybody was watching that game, and it had nothing to do with basketball. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. And the one uh, quad A quarterfinal game that everybody across the entire state had an eye on yesterday uh, was number one Morgantown against number eight Woodrow Wilson. And a lot of it, most of it had nothing to do with basketball. And we've we, been kind of following this story all, all week. 
Uh, Woodrow Wilson playing last night, uh, just four days after teammate uh, junior Dwayne Richardson was shot and killed on Sunday night. Woodrow Wilson head coach Ron Kidd left it up to his players to decide whether they were going to play uh, in last night's game. No, I can't explain it. I ain't, I have never been through anything like this in my whole well, I've been around Woodrow basketball for about 30 years now, and I've never been through anything like this. I'm just so proud of them, like, for having the courage to want to come down here. You know, we left it all up to them. If they would have said they didn't want to come, you know, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have come down here to this tournament. But uh, I think they feel like they saw how happy uh, Dwayne was the last two weeks and how bad he really wanted to come to the state tournament. And I think that kind of drove these guys on my whole team to want to come down here and just represent him. And, and you know what? They did because they came to play yesterday. They used a uh, they had a 6 nothing run, and they trailed by just three at the end of the first quarter, 15-12. to 12. This is against the Morgantown team. They only lost one game all season. They lost to Robert C. Bird. Uh, Woodrow Wilson came in with a losing record. Uh, they were 10-11. and 11. Now, Morgantown, they did create some space in the second quarter, had an 11-3 run to take a 26-15 lead, but Woodrow Wilson came back. They pulled within seven at 28-21. But Morgantown used another, again, basketball game of runs. Morgantown used another run, this time a 9-3 run, to lead at the half 37-24. But again, the Eagles came back. They started the second half with a 9-0 run to cut the lead back down to 5. But then here came Morgantown again. They answered with a 7-0 run to push it back to double digits. They increased the lead out all the way out to 16 at one point in the second half. And then Woodrow Wilson, uh, they couldn't get any closer than 13 the rest of the way. A very, very spirited effort uh, by those young men under... Uh, the absolute worst of circumstances to really push Morgan and Morgantown shot the lights out. They shot 56% from before the game. They made 20 of their 28 two point attempts, which is amazing. But before the game, I mean, it was, it was emotional as you could, as you can imagine. Uh, Richardson's father actually sat on the bench uh, during the game and they had Richardson's uh, number 12 Jersey, occupying one of the seats on the bench. They had a moment of silence before the game. It was, as you can imagine, and Woodrow Wilson comes out, and they didn't have their regular uh, warm-ups on. They just had a, a plain burgundy T-shirt with a number 12 on it to honor their their, their fallen teammate. But uh, it was just, and, and we'll hear from Coach Dave Tallman from Morgantown in a bit. You know, you can go over the numbers. You can go over, you know, uh, the stats and everything like that, but th- this is a game I, I, I couldn't imagine, and we talked about this yesterday, coaching this game under either circumstance. I certainly couldn't imagine coaching a game for Woodrow Wilson and, and under that circumstance, to lose a teammate, to lose a player four days prior. But it also couldn't have been easy for uh, Coach Tallman at Morgantown because, man, it's the same, you, want, you want your kids to win. It's the state tournament. You want them to win in advance, but at the same time, like Coach Tallman says, 
this was far and beyond just a game of basketball. That didn't feel like a basketball game uh, with everything going on. Uh, I know I got emotional. We got here early. Uh, we were the first game of the session, and you know when when Beckley showed up, and we have a great relationship with those guys. A lot of respect. We play. They come to, up to our tournaments. We go to theirs. Um, you know, coach folks, coach kid, we love those guys. So that it was it was gut wrenching to say the least when they brought his jersey out, put it on the bench, and you know, then the moment of silence. I know I got emotional, and then you know, it just I'm, I'm just you know, it's more than basketball, absolutely more than basketball tonight. Um, I don't even really remember what happened in the game. Our thoughts were with uh, Dwayne and his family and and the Beckley community the whole night. Yeah, I I, I thought that spoke volumes right there when he says. I, I can't remember what happened in the game, right? And, and and when you're talking about basketball or any sport, you you want your players, everybody to be focused at, on the task at hand. But that had to be so difficult yesterday because of just what was surrounding that basketball game. But Morgantown, they do get the win as we. It's, it's again, it's still a state tournament, and they move on. And they will actually take on number four Huntington. Uh, Huntington knocked out University by three yesterday, 66-63. So we heard just a couple buckets away from having a all Morgantown uh, semifinal between Morgantown and University. Doesn't work that way. And I think, as I go down the list here, was Quad A the only one that went chalk? No. Okay. So so Class A. Uh, went and chalk uh, seeds one, two, three, and four going to the semifinals. Quad A going one, two, three, and four. Double A close one, two, three, and five. Triple A is an absolute mess, which we talked about earlier. The highest seed left in Triple A is number three, Shady Spring. They'll take on number seven, Winfield, today. And of course, tonight, 7 15, big game. Number five, Wheeling Central. Number eight, Hampshire. The Trojans trying to become the first eight seed to ever play in a state title game because they were the first eight seed to ever win a tournament game a couple nights ago. They, If they knock off Wheeling Central, and again, no reason to believe they can't after they beat Robert C. Bird the other night, if they beat Willing Central, they can get to the Triple A state title game tomorrow as an eight seed. And you can catch that game if you're in and around the Kaiser area on our sister station, AM 1390. It'll also be on our other sister station, 100.1 The Wolf. Tonight, 7:15. And of course, all those games being streamed, you can find them online at the um, on the Metro News Radio Network, uh, WVMetroNews.com. Uh, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if we came back? If we came back on Monday, and we were talking about Hampshire and Pendleton County both winning state championships, wouldn't that be awesome? All right, hour number one in the books. Hour number two, we're on the corner doing push-ups. Stick around. One hundred two point one FM, AM twelve thirty, Cumberland, ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Which is where we will start this hour as we rock around the region. I want to rock right now. Pendleton County is one win away from a perfect season and a state title after a 38-35 win over Tug Valley 
In the Class A semifinals, Bailey Thompson had 15 points. Josh Alt, a double-double, 12 points, 11 rebounds for the third-seeded Wildcats. Here's head coach Ryan Lambert. Extremely, extremely proud. Uh, our culture has been about defense. We've not been bashful about that. Um, and tonight, I had a group go out. Shot selection down the stretch wasn't the best. Uh, we let them back in it. Tug is a great team. A lot of respect over there. Uh, well coached. Um, but with about two and a half, three minutes to go, when we were down either two or three, we, we said, "Okay, we, we've we've been we've been hit. We got to get back up." Uh, that sense of urgency, uh, that that want. It's got to be now. It's got to be now. Um, and uh, it's very, very simple. Greatness is a choice. Greatness is a choice. And these kids, these kids rose to the occasion, uh, executed the game plan. Um, Josh Alt, uh, if I asked him to run through a brick wall for me, he'd say, which one? That sums it up, whole squad. Alt did not run through a brick wall. But he did put back a missed free throw with 17 seconds left to put Pendleton County up for good and advance the Wildcats to tomorrow's Class A state title game against number one man. Uh, tip time tomorrow, I do believe, is 10 o'clock. In Quad A, uh, number three Martinsburg advanced to the semifinals with a 57-52 win over number six Cabell Midland. Doran Smith had 16 points, nine boards for the Bulldogs, who will face at number two George Washington in the semis tonight, uh, GW advanced with a 65-48 win over number 7 Jefferson. And tonight in AAA, Hampshire will try to become the first eight seed to ever make it to a state title game in any class when they take on number 5 Wheeling Central at 7-15. In high school baseball yesterday, a Kaiser uh, beat Southern 8-2. And Frankfurt knocked off Hedgesville 9-4. David Jackson, a complete game for the Falcons. In the NBA, Bradley Bill helped the Wizards move one step closer to a playoff spot. Westbrook, edge of the circle. Bill trying to get open. Bill, right wing. Bill drives, right block. Bank and one. And one. Bill slashes to the basket, scores, and he's going to line. The Wizards up by four, 124-120. The call on Federal News Radio, Beal scored 14 of his 28 points in the fourth quarter and overtime as the Wizards beat the Raptors 131-129. And what about Russell Westbrook? Ah, you know, just like every other day, another triple-double. Westbrook left the circle. Westbrook foul line drives, bags, and scores! And scores! And Russell Westbrook has a triple-double and makes it a one-point game, 106-105. Westbrook, 11 points, 14 rebounds, 14 assists, and his 34th triple-double of the season. He finished with 13 points, 17 boards, 17 assists. As you heard the man say, 34th triple-double of the season. He is now one shy of tying Oscar Robertson for the all-time triple-dub record. On the ice last night, Jeff Carter had himself a career night for the Penguins. A cue the Nelly montage. Penguins racing in McCann down the right side. Left wing feed. Malkin a shot. That was stopped by Hauser and somehow stayed out. It was Carter at the left wing circle who fired it. Well, I want another look at it. After review, was determined the puck completely crossed the goal line. We had a good goal. Left side, Jared McCann feeds it back for John Marino. To the right side, Kasperi Kapanen, a right-hand shot. Down low for Zucker. In front, they shoot and score! Jeff Carter atop the crease, a power 
throws it forward. He finds McCann with speed through center. Chips it right side for Goudreau. Into the slot. Curls on the forehand. Left side for Pedersen. Looking in front. They shoot and score. And it's Jeff Carter falling down as he buries it. Throw the hats. Sabres in their own end. Turn it over. It's Carter. A backhander. He scores. Make it four for Jeff Carter. Top shelf at the right circle. The calls on the Penguins radio network. All due respect to Josh Getzoff, why couldn't have Mike Lang called that game? A career-high four goals for Carter as the Penguins doubled up the Sabres 8-4 in Pittsburgh. It was the first four-goal game for a Penguin since Chris Kunitz did it against the Capitals in 2013. If I had to pick a Penguin to have a four-goal game, I'm not sure Kunitz would have been at the top of the list. Uh, Anyway, speaking of the Caps, the Penguins are now two points ahead of Washington, For first place in the East Division, the Caps will try to keep pace tonight at home against Philadelphia. In Major League Baseball, the Braves beat the Nationals 3-2 to complete their first sweep of Washington since 2014. Josh Harrison had two hits for the Nats. Pirates and Orioles off yesterday. Bucks kick off a weekend series at the Cubs this afternoon. And the O's are at the uh, the one place they don't want to be, at home. To take on the Red Sox, Orioles are 4-10 at Camden Yards this season, 11-6 away from home. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by uh, the Caporale Group. Now, updating the standings before we get to our Rush Friday feature. I told you the Penguins, uh, two points up on the Caps in the East Division. Penguins only have one regular season game left. That's it, tomorrow, against Buffalo again. The Caps, including tonight's game, they have three left. The Bruins have three left. The Islanders, I'm not going to count them because they're probably out of of having to win the division. Right now, the Pens have 75 points. The Caps have 73. The Bruins, 71. The Islanders, 68. So after tomorrow, the Pens have to kind of sit around and wait because both the Caps and the Bruins have two games in hand. So it would behoove the Pens to beat the Sabres tomorrow to wrap up the regular season, and then it's got to kind of hope that the Caps and Bruins, you know, don't win the rest of their games. Now, I don't know who who, the, who do the Caps have the last uh, – let me check here real quick. I hope it's the Bruins, to tell you the truth, <laughs> said the Penguins fan. Actually, let's see here. Wait a minute. Okay, they have Philly tonight, they have Philly tomorrow, and the last game of the regular season, Capitals and Bruins. That could, excuse me, that could decide the East Division right there if they continue to win. How about that? Heading down the home stretch. Uh, In the NBA, the Wizards have that 10 spot, and with that win over Toronto last night, pretty much uh, put the cap on the Raptors' chances because right now the Wizards are at number 10, they are three and a half games up on Chicago, and they are four and a half up on the Raptors. And uh, as we talked about in the first hour, barring some major collapse from either the Pacers or the Wizards, the Bulls and Raps are done. And right now they're just jockeying for position. The Hornets have the eight seed right now in the East Conference. They are a game ahead of Indiana and a game and a half against uh, ahead of Washington. And worth noting. The Pacers and Wizards play each other tomorrow in Indiana. And that will go a long way in determining what happens in the playoffs. 
So it looks right now like you have like nobody's going to catch the seven spot. The Celtics and the Heat are tied right now at uh, 35 and 31. The Celtics have the sixth seed because of a tiebreaker. So the Heat have the seventh seed. They're three games up on Charlotte, four up on Indiana, and four and a half up on Washington. So I think that whether it's the Celtics or the Heat, that that spot, the six, seven spots are locked up. So it's going to be Charlotte, Indiana, Washington jockeying for those eight, nine, ten spots, which are very important in you know that play-in tournament. So we'll see how it shakes out. A lot of a late regular season drama in the NBA and the NHL heading down the home stretch. All right. Today is Friday, in case you didn't know. Wow. Hold on one second. Wow. Had a little, uh, <clears throat> a little throat in my frog. I cut the grass yesterday. Therefore, my allergies are at full tilt, which is why I'm a little bit, you know, little phlegmy uh, today. Uh, today is Friday, as I started to say, which means my main man Joe Shuda has yet another uh, Rush Friday feature for us. And today, uh, Joe catches up with Altoona Curve bench coach Gary Green. The Curve returning to action this past week after missing all of last season. They canceled all the minor league seasons last year because of the pandemic. So the first game the Curve played was the first game in 614 days for the Pirates AA affiliate. And a reminder, you can catch all of Joe's stuff on his website, 2MinuteTO.com. That's the number 2MinuteTO.com. His uh, short-form stuff, his long-form stuff, two-minute timeouts, all of Joe's stuff right there. So here here is Joe Shuda with our Rush Friday feature. This is Derek Martin, General Manager of the Altoona Curve. It's time for the Rush Friday feature with Joe Shuda. Looking forward to seeing all of you at People's Natural Gas Field this season. Let's play ball. My guests on the Rush Friday feature play for the Padres, Rangers, and Reds over five major league seasons. He'll be the bench coach this season for the Pirates' double-A affiliate, the Altoona Curve. Gary Green, thanks for joining me to talk a little baseball. It's my pleasure, Joe. Uh, happy to be on your show. Well, first of all, let's talk about growing up, what it was like. Today, there's so much pressure on kids. Parents think they're going to get a college scholarship and they're going to go pro. Of course, your dad played for the Pirates. He was on the 1960 World Series team. What was it like for you? Um, you, you know, he he, uh, he obviously introduced me to the game and then just uh, supported me as I went along in my career. Uh, the more I liked the game, the more he supported it. There was really never any pressure to uh, to be a major league player. So I was able to relax and just go out and have fun and play. So I'm very thankful and appreciative of that from him. At about 15 or 16 years of age, most kids figure out what they're good at athletically. At what point did you realize you were obviously above average baseball-wise? And were there any things that happened when you were playing with older guys or certain things where you said, yeah, I think I've got some ability that's above average? That's a good question, Joe. I, you know, I was always playing when I was little. We were out in the street playing. We were playing in the backyard. You know, we were fortunate to play with older kids and learn from older kids. And, and I realized that I, you know, I enjoyed doing it. I, I think the big thing today, which is different, is is back then when we were growing up. We, you know, when it was baseball season, we played baseball. When it was football season, we played football. The hockey season, we played hockey, basketball, same thing. So, um, I think we were fortunate enough to. 
become a little bit more uh, well-rounded with with a lot of different sports. And it seems like players today or kids today are just more specific in what they're trying to do, and they they don't they don't indulge in other sports, which I which I think stunts you a little bit. We are joined by Gary Green. He's the bench coach of the Pirates Double affiliate, the Altoona Curve. You made a decision. You were drafted in 1980 by the Giants in the 29th round. You made a decision to go to college instead. Was there ever any thought that you, you maybe wouldn't go to college and rather you would go and play ball in the minor leagues? Um, you know, I, I had wanted to sign coming out of, of, of high school, but I think probably the, looking back on it, hindsight being 2020, probably the best thing that happened to me uh, was that I had hurt my arm uh, my senior year prior to my senior year and had to have a surgery on my elbow, um, which kind of really, uh, I wasn't fully recovered from that. Um, and actually it became a blessing because to be honest with you, I was not ready to, to jump into pro ball at 18, um, physically or, or emotionally. Um, so being able to go to college for, for another three or four years really helped me out. 1983, you're drafted again by the Cardinals in the second round. Are you tempted to possibly uh, sign there? You know, I, I really wasn't tempted. They, they had a guy by the name of Ozzie Smith at the time, and who was who was a pretty good player, <laughs> and and he was still uh, at the height of his career. Um, he was probably only 27 or 28 years old. So, you know, I realized that signing with St. Louis at that time probably wasn't going to be a good decision uh, because there was no way to really move him at that time. Um, so that's why I decided to go back to college and actually pursue another chance to win a national championship in college. 1984, you're drafted first round by the Padres. I guess you really had no choice there. It's not like you could continue for a couple more years in college. What do you remember about that day when you were drafted, then signing? Um, you know, they were special times. Even in high school, it was a special time. Anytime you get a chance to, to be drafted and do something that you've always wanted to do since you were a little kid, is always a special time. So um, grateful for the opportunities, not only by San Francisco in high school, but St. Louis my junior year, and then uh, San Diego my, my, my final year in college. So, you know, just very thankful and grateful to have the opportunity to uh, to get into the pro game. You've been involved with minor league coaching for a long time. You get drafted, you go to the minors, and I talk to so many players who – those first couple of weeks, sometimes they question, do I really belong here? Am I going to make it? A lot of times they've called home and say, I think I'm going to just give it up. And their dad or mother says, no, just hang in there. What about you? Were there times when you said, boy, do I belong here? Um, I, I, probably the biggest question I have was when I left at 18 to go from uh, Pittsburgh to, to Stillwater, Oklahoma, where I went to uh, college at Oklahoma State. That was probably when I landed in Tulsa, Oklahoma for the first time, being away from home for the first time. That was probably the biggest question. Would I be able to stick that out? Once I became 21 and 22 years old, I was I was actually ready. I'd been away from home long enough that uh, you know, I was ready to get into the pro game. September the 14th, 1986, your debut in the major leagues. What do you remember going up to that? Um, I, yeah, I remember a couple of things. You know, I was fortunate enough to get my, my, my first hit in the big leagues off Mike Scott, who who won the Cy Young that year with Houston. They, they were in the in the middle of a pennant race. And, and also the other thing I remember was having a chance to play against Phil Garner. I had known Garner from, from years ago when I was uh, in high school, my dad was still a part of the pirates and I was able to go down there and work out with those guys. And, and Garner was, was, was a big influence in, in helping me uh, within field play, um, being around him, 
on the weekends for batting practice and taking ground balls with him and just listening to him. Um, so having a chance to, to, to play against him at the major league level was, uh, was really special. You were in 13 games with the Padres in 1986, and then 87 and 88. What's happening there? Um, you know, I, I go into spring training, I believe, in 87, have a good spring training, and get, was one of the last guys sent out, and it, which was going to probably happen anyway, regardless of how I did in spring training. They had an established shortstop by the name of Gary Templeton there, who was, was a very good player. Um, but I was disappointed because I did have a good spring training. I had been in the big leagues the year before. And like most young players, you know, once you get to the big leagues, even for a little bit, you think you should stay there. Uh, and, and when I went back in 87, um, my attitude wasn't where it needed to be. Um, I didn't have the, the, um, the focus and desire that I needed to have daily. Um, so it, it took me about a year, year and a half to get myself straightened out. Uh, and, and, and refocus on what I really needed to focus on. The next several years, you're with the Padres and then with Texas, with the Rangers, and then the Reds. Well, we go to 1992, and you're 30 years of age. Are you starting to think, what am I going to do? Am I going to make it any longer? 30 seems to be the age where a lot of guys, that's the big cutoff, where maybe it's time to think about not being in baseball from a playing point of view. What about you? What were you thinking? You know, I started having some injuries. I started having uh, some back issues at about 30 or 31. So you started to realize, you know, you're not feeling like you used to feel three, four, five, six years ago. Um, there's more maintenance involved trying to stay healthy. Um, and from about 31 on, you could start to see the body was just not the same. Um, you weren't able to do the things that you were able to do three, four, five, six years prior. Um, so when I got to about 32, 33, I started to realize, you know, they're younger, they're faster, they're quicker, and, and I'm going to have to take a hard look at this pretty soon because <laughs> I'm not going to be able to stay here and compete with these guys much longer. We are joined by Gary Green. He's the bench coach of the Pirates Double affiliate, the Altoona Curve. The author, John Updike, talks about athletes, and, and he says that you die two times. If you're an athlete, you have that first small death where you realize that it's over, and obviously, you know, your life continues. You hear about so many guys who have a real tough time getting out of the game. They really can't accept it. What about you? Did you get to the point where you did accept that? Because obviously you went into the coaching, but how tough was that? Right. It was, it, you know, it wasn't easy. It took a while. It took a couple of years, uh, and I was out of the game for a couple of years once I had finally uh, retired from the game. Um, but I met some people. I lived in Texas because I played for the Rangers for a few years and ended up just staying down there. And I would met uh, some people that were in business, and I got involved with some of their stuff. Uh, they were nice enough to help me out with, with uh, real estate stuff. Um, but then I, a couple of years went by and, and had an opportunity to get back in. Um, and I thought, you know what? Let me give it a shot. Let me get back in. Because a lot of times once you go, get out of the game, Joe, so it's hard to get back in. So I took a shot at getting back in to see what the coaching side would be like. Um, and to be honest with you, I've, I've enjoyed it ever since. If you go back and you could change anything about your playing days, what would you do? I think probably um, there's always things you can change. You know, hindsight being 2020. I got sent back down in 87 from Major League Camp. Um, you know, having a better attitude, going back down there, proving people that they were wrong, not letting six months or a year go by before you uh, quit feeling sorry for yourself. That's probably the biggest thing 
is is taking the bull by the horns a little bit sooner uh, and proving people that they that they made a mistake. You've been involved in coaching for a long time. Do you have players where you sit down and, and tell them your story and realize that a lot of these guys are going through the same thing? You try, exactly. You just try and pass on. Just try and pass on my experiences to guys, especially now that that, that I've been coordinating the last ten or eleven years and. I've had a chance to go through the system and, and be around the AAA guys more, the AA guys more. Um, so you just pass on your experience to them. Things that have happened to you, when you see them going through those type of things, um, you just try to give them um, a different perspective that, hey, these, these things are normal things that you're going to go through now that you're at the higher levels. So just to have them understand that they're certainly not the only ones to go through what they're going through. Some final moments with Gary Green. He is the bench coach for the Altoona Curve this coming season. As you look back on all these years, do you have a funny or bizarre story you can tell us about sometime during your playing time or even coaching? I do have one. When I was with San Diego back, I think it was 86 or 87 in, in camp with them, and we were sitting on the bench. I wasn't playing that day. And lo and behold, you know, they, they, a lot of the veterans are always playing pranks. So uh, one of the veterans was underneath the bench one day, a guy named Bobby Brown. And he was giving people hot foots that day where he would light your spikes on fire. Well, what he did with mine, unbeknownst to me, he had lit my sh- uh, shoestrings on fire. I didn't realize it. Well, it burned a hole right through my shoestrings. And, and, <laughs> As luck would have it, within five minutes after that happened, I had to go pinch run at first base, not realizing that my shoes, my spikes were not tied and my laces were burnt. So I had to run out there, and and, and obviously my shoe went flying off, and I had no time to go run first base with 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 uh, spikes on without laces. So uh, that was uh, at the time it wasn't funny to me, but uh, after the game was over, I had a big chuckle, but it ended up being funny. <laughs> I went out there. I was not going to say no. I couldn't do it. I just went out there. My shoe came off when I got when I stood up to go out there, and all the veterans were laughing. Uh, I just went out there and made it work best I could. <laughs> Finally, if we go back one year, if we if we were speaking one year ago, and I would say, you know what? There's going to be a pandemic. There's going to be no baseball season for minor leagues. There's going to be a shortened major league season. You'd say, yeah, whatever. Okay, yeah, thank you very much, and hang up. But after that past year. What are you looking forward to, and what changes do you think you'll see with baseball this year? Last year, not, not, not so much for myself, because we were, we were in Altoona last year for uh, all of August and September with some of our players. Um, but for some, for a lot of other of our players, they, they, they missed the whole year and, and didn't get a chance to play and compete. So um, I'm sure that was very difficult on a lot most of our players. Um, it's going to be interesting to see guys that haven't played in over a year uh, to see how they respond uh, once they come back. It's hard to be away from this game for for a year, year and a half without without uh, facing pitching, and there's so much timing involved in this game, whether it's defensively, offensively. So it's going to be interesting to see how our players are able to respond and how quickly they were able to get back into the flow of things. Thanks for joining us on the Rush Friday feature. Looking forward to baseball this year, and I guess the best thing I can say is play ball. Looking forward to spending some time in Altoona with our guys. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Joe. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. This 
is the morning rush. How do you send 90 people home from close contact? How does that work? Did you catch that in the news uh, update with Amanda there? Something about uh, Frankfurt Middle School. Is that right? It was Frankfurt Middle School. They sent 90 people home? 90? From one? From close? One? Maybe it's more than one. I don't know. I don't, I, just, I guess it's, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the situation. It just, it caught me off guard. Like, what? 90 P? You're sending 90 home? How do you come in close? How does 90 people come in close contact with one person? Anyway. I just, uh, I'm not going to get into it. I, I just, I'm so, I understand we're not out of the woods yet. I get it. I understand there's still a ways to go before we, you know, can really put this in the rear view. But there's so so many instances where I'm just I'm just so over all this, and it's fatigue. It's just I'm tired of it. It's, so many things just don't make sense. I don't understand it. I don't understand the quarantine rules. I don't understand how they determine. You know. See, I'm I'm nervous, and my wife is nervous. Because we've got graduation coming up here in a couple weeks. Right? Our son's graduating. He's our one and only. One son, one child. And I, I, I shudder to think what would happen if he got quarantined and missed his graduation. I may just absolutely lose myself. I may absolutely, i I'd probably get fired that day. To be honest. If I had to come in here and talk about it, if my son misses graduation... I would just lose my mind. I, I would. I would. That would it. I would just go off the rails. That would be the end of it. It's three weeks. Is that right? It was uh, yeah. It's three weeks away. I understand people got to do their jobs. I understand they have rules to follow. I get it. So it's not like I'm sitting there blaming anybody or, or trying to, you know, question it. I just the whole thing. I'm just. I'm over it. I'm over it. From that aspect of it, I'm over. I'm also over the NHL as we segue back to sports here. And the NHL just continues to throw up all over itself over this whole Tom Wilson situation. And we've been talking about it all week. You know what happened on Monday against the Rangers? Wilson lost his mind again, took cheap shots and sucker punches and he ended Artemi Panarin's season. And all that came out of it was he got a $5,000 fine. That was it. No suspension for this repeat offender clown. Just a $5,000 fine. The Rangers weren't happy about it. We talked about that the following day because they released a statement. Which, sources told ESPN, the statement was commissioned by Rangers owner James Dolan himself. And this statement was released, and the Rangers weren't happy with the fact that Wilson only got a $5,000 fine. The statement called it a dereliction of duty, and they called 
for George Paros, the uh, head of the Department of Player Safety, to be fired. They said Paros is unfit to continue his current role as Senior Vice President of Player Safety. So how did the NHL respond to that? They fined the Rangers $250,000. And repeat that. They fined Tom Wilson $5,000 for punching a guy in the back of the head when he's laying face down on the ice. And for body slamming Panarin by pulling him by the hair and knocking him out. They find him five grand. They find the Rangers 250 grand for not being happy about it. Every turn the NHL has made in this situation since Monday has been the wrong turn. Every single one. You talk about making matters worse. Every single move the league has made has been the dumbest move. It's just one after the other after the other. Here's ESPN's Jason Fitz. They asked for the firing of somebody that's in charge of player safety. For that, the NHL has turned around and fined the Rangers $250,000. 250k. So the guy that actually slams somebody's head on the ice while he's laying there gets five grand, which is the equivalent of, I don't know, like a lemon loaf cake slice at Starbucks to somebody that makes $61 million in contracts. And then for saying something for that, the Rangers are now fined 250k. It makes no sense to me. Zero cents. Zero. So why? Why did the league choose to be so soft on Tom Wilson but come down so hard on the Rangers? As Emily Kaplan explains, it's because the league got its widow feelings hurt. Most owners and GMs don't speak out against the NHL or its decisions or Gary Bettman. He usually has everyone in line. So this was a really, really rare and bold statement by them and the NHL is like uh-uh, we don't like that you see the way that it's going to affect their pocket how dare you how dare says commissioner Gary Bettman how dare you question the decisions of the National Hockey League how dare you we got to keep you in line you're not allowed to have an opinion on the decisions we make Bettman, who's been a clown for years, one of the worst commissioners in the history of professional sports, said, quote, public comments of the nature issued by the Rangers that were personal in nature and demeaning of a league executive will not be tolerated. We will not tolerate the Rangers questioning George Paros. It was too personal. George Paros, who was a goon and a thug himself, when he played, George Paros, who had 141 more fights in his career than he did points, all of a sudden, he's, he's got his feelings hurt. Oh, well, the Rangers made a personal statement. <laughs> oh, God. And then Bettman says, a quote, while we don't expect our clubs to agree with every decision rendered by the Department of Player Safety, because, well, let's face it, the Department of Player Safety usually gets it more wrong than right. So most people are unhappy. The extent to which the Rangers expressed their disagreement was unacceptable. It is terribly unfair to question George Paros' professionalism 
and dedication to his role in the Department of Player Safety. Why is it unfair to question his professionalism when he botched the Tom Wilson thing worse than anybody could have imagined? Why is it so unfair? Explain that to me. Most people outside of Washington, most people outside of the Capitals' kingdom, thought that Paros and player safety screwed up the situation on Monday. That Tom Wilson, who, as we said before, has been suspended five times already in his career, that he should have been suspended again. Because what he did Monday was outside of of the realm of, of just normal hockey stuff. If, if you polled 100 people, I get 85 to 90 would have said that Wilson was wrong and should have been suspended. So why is it unfair for the Rangers to question Paros and his professionalism? Because this isn't the first time he screwed something up. You have a goon, you have a former goon and a thug or enforcer policing current goons, thugs, and enforcers. How does that even work? So stupid. I mean, my, again, you wonder why the NHL is is a second tier professional professional league, and it's a shame because I am an advocate of hockey. I love hockey. I think it's a fantastic sport. Been watching hockey all my life. I played hockey, well, deck hockey because I can't skate. I follow the game. I talk about the game, and all this does here is hurt the game. It turns people off because we we saw the bleep show that happened the other night when the Rangers and Caps met again, right? All those fights, and that's what happens. That's what happens when the people running the league don't do their jobs. But God forbid that you criticize them. Oh, no, that's unacceptable. It's acceptable to punch people on the back of the head and end their seasons by slamming them to the ice. That's acceptable. But criticizing the league, that won't be tolerated. Screw you, Bettman, and the NHL. Yeah, go find me for that, jerks. All right, stick around. Back to wrap things up. Come on, ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. All right, wrapping things up on the Morning Rush on this funky Friday morning. Uh, before we uh, ski-daddle, let's check on the player who delivered. Brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. How about this guy right here? He looks back at second and Wheeler's pitch. Swung on, hit in the air, right field side, foul ground. Hoskins going over. He's under. He's got it. And the Phillies pull off the four-game sweep of the Brewers behind Zach Wheeler, who tosses a complete game shutout, the second of his career, his first since 2014. The call on WIP, Zach Wheeler with the 118-pitch Three-hit shutout as Philly beat the Brewers 2-0 in Philly. Uh, Wheeler struck out eight. As you heard the man say, his second career shutout and complete game in 144 starts. First since 2014 when uh, he was with the Mets. So, Zach Wheeler, uh, the player who delivered, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. Uh, A couple things here. A little house cleaning before we get out of here. Did you see... Uh, Albert Pujols got DFA'd uh, last night or the night before. The Angels 
of parting ways, releasing Pujols. He'd been struggling this season, big time. Found a spot on the bench, and they decided to cut him loose. Here is uh, Angels general manager, as soon as I find the clip. Where's the clip at? There it is. Uh, Perry Manizen. Uh, there's never a right time for something like this. Obviously, have all the respect in the world for what type of player he is. This is more about playing time and who we have. You know, we have a we have a young first baseman we feel really excited about in Jared Walsh. It's more about opportunity. Albert is not a bench player. You know, we felt like uh, for him, you know, with with respect to him, keeping him on the bench, him not getting any playing time would not do him any good or the team any good. So never a good never a good time for this. But with that being said, we felt like it was the best thing for the organization. So the forty one year old Pujols DFA'd, no longer an angel. Not quite sure if anybody's going to pick him up now. And if that is indeed the end for Mr. Pujols, uh, Tim Kirkshin says it was one hell of a ride. If the end of a career is near for Albert Pujols, it has been quite a run, one of the best of all time. His greatness began immediately, and for more than a decade, it never stopped. Pujols won the Rookie of the Year in 2001, hitting 329 with 37 home runs and 130 RBIs. His first 10 seasons with the Cardinals were arguably the best first 10 seasons of anyone in history. He is the only player to hit 300 with 30 homers and 100 RBIs in each of his first 10 years. Pujols won three MVP awards. He finished second four times, and in 10 of his first 11 seasons, he finished in the top five. The Cardinals won the World Series in 2006 and 2011, with Pujols as the team's best player and its leader in every way on and off the field. Pujols' career with the Angels was filled with injuries and playing through pain. His career average dipped to 298, but his 667 homers and 3,253 hits puts him with Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, and Alex Rodriguez as the only players ever with 600 homers and 3,000 hits. After Lou Gehrig, the greatest first baseman of all time, is either Jimmy Fox or Albert Pujols. Pujols showed up every day, ready to play, to hit, and to win. He was indeed the machine. If that is indeed it for Pujols, he will finish fifth on the career home run list with 667. He is 14th on the all-time hits list with 3,200. And 53, only two behind uh, former Oriole Eddie Murray. So, Pujols uh, looking for a job after being DFA'd by the Angels. Uh, the Aaron Rodgers drama continues. Uh, will he be back with Green Bay? Will he won't be? Uh, nobody knows for sure. I don't even think he knows. Uh, former Green Bay fullback and former Rodgers teammate John Kuhn was on the Zach Gelb show on CBS Sports Radio. And he told Zach that uh, he had a conversation with Rodgers, and he really wouldn't go into a whole lot of detail of the conversation. But he said, right now, Rodgers is a uh, he's a man conflicted. Just because he has differences 
um, with a head coach or a general manager or anybody else. Like, it doesn't necessarily affect his play and, and his professionalism. I still think it's somewhere around 70, 75% that Aaron Rodgers is the starting quarterback for the Packers this year. So he hasn't ruled out a return to Green Bay is what you're telling me. Are you saying that Absolutely at all? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. He is, he, I, I still believe there is an opportunity at a, at a resolution here. And I just think it, it's going to take two men that are dug in right now and trying to meet in the middle somewhere where they're both happy. So he thinks there's a pretty good chance, 70-75%, that Rodgers will be back. Something else has been kind of happening in Green Bay. According to uh, Mark Talger, who's a former Packer, he has a show on ESPN Wisconsin, as he's sensing a little turn in the tide as far as the way Packers fans are starting to view Aaron Rodgers. I don't know about villain, but I do notice, and it feels like this saga has been going on for about six months, but it's only been a week from last Thursday that this whole thing has been going. And I noticed already after the draft, I thought Thursday and Friday we'd do a show uh, from 9 to 12 on ESPN Wisconsin. And you know, we, we had heard what's going on with the front office. What's this? And then by Monday after the draft, the tide was turning. It was more of what does Aaron want? Why aren't we hearing from him? He was at the Derby. So locally, I think we're feeling and hearing a lot of kind of angst already about everybody wants Aaron Rodgers to come back as quarterback. But I think everybody during this one week is trying to to figure out what he wants, and I think that's the question everybody has right now. And he wants the GM gone. Either that or an apology, one of the two. And it all surrounds Jordan Love, the drafting uh, from well, everything I've heard. The Packers drafted Jordan Love and didn't give Arp Rodgers a head up. That's all he had to do. All they had to do is say, hey, we're going to draft this guy in, you know, in the first round, late first round. Apparently he's miffed that they didn't check with him first or at least give him a heads up. <clears throat> so maybe all he wants is an apology, and then and, and it's all over. Who knows? Who knows? But it needs to be, get squashed quick. Because although Packers fans might be a little bit, you know, eh about it, you don't want to lose Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> That's for sure. Care for what you wish for. All right, don't forget, Hampshire game tonight. You can catch it on uh, AM 1390 in Kaiser and our sister station 100.1 The Wolf 715. Good luck, Trojans. Have a great weekend. See you back here Monday on the Morning Rush. See ya!